Housing's too expensive in San Francisco, and there's heated disagreement about how to tackle the cost of building it. Construction and labor costs are extremely high. Couldn't the city lower the cost of getting multi-unit buildings online by embracing modular construction? In this method, apartments are built at a factory, essentially on a giant conveyor belt, then assembled at the new building location. At an SF Next Solutions conference in October, this turned out to be a controversial issue. Overall, what you see is a savings. Some real projects have been 25% quicker on the turnaround. You know, some of the claims about modular housing on that it has increased production times and savings, we just haven't seen it. I'm Laura Wenis. This week, two union organizers make their cases for why cities should embrace or reject modular housing. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. In mid-October, the Chronicle's SF Next project convened about 170 people to think through persistent San Francisco challenges, homelessness, crime, and housing affordability. While small groups split off for intensive brainstorming sessions, a crowd stayed behind to watch experts weigh in on these problems. On the question of housing affordability, Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan brought together two labor leaders with different perspectives on whether building units off-site is a good method to bring down construction costs. You'll hear SF Next Project Director Jonathan Krim introduce everyone. Modular housing has been a growing idea. It's been something that we've seen in other cities. And here in San Francisco, there's an interesting sort of divide around that issue. And we have two really excellent spokespeople here for the different sides of this and the complexities of it. John Doherty is the business manager and financial secretary for IBEW Local 6 Electrical Workers Union. He represents, the union represents 3,000 members in San Francisco construction, communications, transit, and power generation. He's also vice president for subcrafts of the SF Building and Trades Council. And the Electrical Workers Union is part of the Honest Builders Coalition, which exists to oppose factory-built housing in San Francisco in its current form. Jay Bradshaw is the executive officer of the NorCal Carpenters Union, representing 38,000 members whose priorities include political and organizing drives to build housing throughout Northern California using union labor standards. Jay's union carpenters constitute all the production workers at Factory OS in Vallejo, the only unionized modular housing factory in the Bay Area. These two gentlemen will be interviewed by Kevin Fagan, who's been covering homeless and housing issues since 1873 for the Chronicle. <laughs> He's extremely experienced and knowledgeable, and he's a great talker. So, gentlemen, do you want to come up? So, well, John, what do you think about the idea of building a factory here? We'll get to Doherty's answer to that right after a quick break. At the SF Next Solutions Conference, labor leaders John Doherty from the Electrical Workers Union IBEW Local 6 and Jay Bradshaw with the NorCal Carpenters Union got into the nitty-gritty about modular housing, why they support or oppose the expansion of building apartments in a factory away from the final site of the building. Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan asked Doherty about the idea of encouraging these factories locally. So, 
Well, John, what do you think about the idea of building a factory here? Get things done. So I, w- I was involved. Yeah, I would agree that I think the uh, the consultant was out of Canada and was used to building. Uh, so don't. This is the term. So don't get mad. But man camps for the shale oil fields right. up in Canada. It's actually where Gurdon. Uh, You're uh, talking about the study that. Yeah, but the people that conducted the study. So they're used to, uh, and the same thing with Gurdon uh, on when how they got really big was in the Dakotas and. Uh, in through Ohio and, and the iron, the Rust Belt, uh, building what are called man camps, which is uh, less than frivolous. And I'm not saying that we're building frivolous type construction. Wait, wait, wait. What's a man camp? I a man, still a man camp is where you're going to be working in a remote location on uh, on an oil field in the middle of nowhere. Well, how does that relate to building a factory? Well, well I'll tell you if you let me get there. <laughs> so, uh, I know. Well, I, there's there's a little bit of background. Okay, so so they're used to building these things because you'll have uh, uh, an oil field to open up, and you'll have thousands of people will come into the area. There is no infrastructure. They're only going to be there a short while. Uh, whoever's running the oil field or whoever's running the housing for the oil field, they build something that's disposable. Right. It's okay. if it lasts 10 years, 15 years, they write it off in five, uh, get their tax breaks or whatever. But it's not meant to be um, permanent housing. That's the experience that these folks came in with, that this is not meant to be something permanent. Whereas we were saying, no, let's build something. We're going to build it. Let's build it right. Um, so you're saying that the, the, the study but, was but flawed. To get, well, the, well, we'll say that the people that were doing the study, I, I don't know if they saw it as competition for their product that they're trying to sell elsewhere. Uh, but I can say that I don't think they understood what was being asked of them by the city. But as far as the feasibility of having one, the only limit we have is land, right? Uh, and we live, we're on the Q-tip end of a peninsula. They're not adding anymore. Uh, we're not allowed to fill it in anymore, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it comes down to the city would have to dedicate, you know, a good parcel. We had our suggestions uh, as far as, you know, whether it was out by the transfer station out there uh, off of India Basin. Uh, there's places out in the shipyard we thought might be helpful as well, since no construction is really going. Of course, that's a different mess altogether with the soils and the Navy failing to clean it up. And to be honest, after the discussions with the mayor, we had discussions with Five Points as well. About what's five points? Five points is Lennar. So those of you that know Lennar, they changed their name or the entity that owns the development rights out at the uh, at the old naval station uh, is called Five Points. So we've had discussions with them as well because they'll bring in someone who talks about, okay, well, this is all we need. We'll have, you know, 55 workers. And we're like, well, you only need probably three electricians. You don't need, you know, you don't need 10 because they're going to be working as a module works its way through. You don't need to have, you can have a qualified trained electrician who's there. It's a great opportunity to get people in uh, from the Southeast section. If this housing was going to be used uh, in Bayview's Hunter's Point, we, this is a great opportunity for us to get someone a foothold into the trade so they can figure out, okay, listen, can you show up, go to work, do whatever you got to do. Uh, do you understand but, the tools of the trade, but not in a setting where we're sending them 17 stories into the air and they, if they just don't have that experience, not everybody does. And we're out of time. We're out of time. About time to take questions from the crowd. Yep. Um, and what I'm hearing is that it was it's it's it was too muddled. 
to build a factory here. But I want to hear what uh, what kind of questions you guys have. So uh, um, I'd like to just start with one, if I could. Um, I'm curious, John, how many of your members, or either of you actually, how many of your members do not live in San Francisco? No, no longer live in San Francisco? Yes. Uh, we're, we're, the, the majority. Yeah. So then why Large should we majority. care where the factory is? Right. I don't disagree with you. Well, yeah, and I would say, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry if my member that went to Balboa High School and has had a family in this, in this community for 75 years, got, whether they got forced to Daly City or to uh, Fairfield, are you saying that they're not part of the community? I mean, are we going to get to that level that we're going to say, I don't care where the work is done or who is doing it, because all I care about is the dollar and the production. And I'll tell you what we'll get. We'll get what we got out of the anti-union push of the 70s and 80s and 90s, which is a hollowed out industry that cannot produce housing. That's what we'll get with that attitude. Yeah, so, so what I would say about that, absolutely love San Francisco, and it's very important. But part of the problem with San Francisco for working folks is they've been priced out. And it's a regional approach. If we're ever going to bring some more affordability to it, we need more volume. We need more housing built. So it's not a matter of, and, and I think it's important to say, at least I do, so I'm going to say it, um, in the decline of housing residential, the unions have to, not the folks at the t up here were there then, but need to take responsibility for the actions of how the union approached that decline. Was there vibrant, cross-the-board organizing drives? Was there open recruitment of people of color and women going back that far? I would argue no. And I'm speaking about my organization, which I know I'm not attacking any other organization. So again, we got to face the facts. Now again, we fight every day. We would welcome any other labor union that wants to engage in that organizing fight. We disagree on political approaches on this as well, which is we can respectfully disagree, and that's fine. But the bottom line is, in San Francisco, the decline where our membership used to live here, commute to the job here, right? Those days are gone because of the price. We believe this is one, it's not a panacea, one of the solutions to that. When you look at the chronic homeless and where you need supportive housing, the crisis is magnified by a thousand for those folks. So I think there's a way, I believe there's a way to create good jobs and produce that housing and get people off the street and the support they need. So, yeah. and, and I would argue also that there's a, there's a fluid nature to the housing expectations, not only of, uh, as, so I, no offense to the crowd, but this is an older than average crowd uh, for construction, uh, a current construction con uh, discussion. I resemble that remark. Yeah, uh, believe, as, there's a guy sitting up here with a, with a white head of hair who's you know, the same way. But the point being is that, you know, you look at what's being built today and, and have discussions, uh, you know, a nephew that lives in town, they're not expecting to uh, necessarily have, you know, a house out, whether it's out in the avenues or, you know, the Excelsior with a yard. And, and they, they've kind of, they see that that ship has sailed, right? That the density is, you know, well, the city I grew up in, the density was that there was, you know, kids everywhere, right? I mean, you walked outside of the house and you were sent to the park and there was kids in the park to play with. Now we have parks, you don't see kids in them uh, as often as you used to. But so their expectations are shifting. You know, they look at the value of their time compared to the value of the space outside of their, you know, living 
space. So they, they've adapted, they're, they have adapted and they are adapting to more of a, what I would call a Manhattan style uh, of living where I'm gonna live in an apartment or a small condo. And if I want grass amenities, I'll go to the park. Uh, but I'll have art amenities. I'll have the ability to live without a car and what have you. So the the whole housing shortage affects the supportive housing, which is what I let's let's get to right now. Let's get to yes. the audience if we could. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Zach Subin. Um, it was really interesting the figure of sort of a three hundred thousand dollar savings per unit, which you know sounds like we don't have full agreement from both of you on exactly that number. But I'd be curious, how does that number compare to the costs imposed by the city? In, in terms of its slow approval process and um, overregulation of new housing, is that is it comparable in size? You know, smaller, bigger. Thanks. So on that one, and and again, like we can all throw data out, but part of what we look at for those numbers we rely on is the actual developers who do not just that one project, but look across an experience set for those for those numbers and savings. The cost of uh, affordable uh, all in quote, affordable in San Francisco, uh, runs anywhere from 680 to a million bucks on the door term. And that primarily in the broken entitlement system. Um, and that's just per unit. That's per unit. Apart. Right. Now, again, you got to figure in land costs and all that other stuff. It's not exact science, but every single uh, developer and most folks will tell you that that's the number one issue is how that is blocked and how that's just gummed up with regulation and everything. Now, regulation is important. You don't allow the Wild West, so to speak, but that's where it drives the cost. Yeah, really, it's got and, one and, there. And whether it's, so there is no $300,000 savings that anybody has shown me. does not exist. Uh, as far as the cost, you know, there's so much more that goes into that cost. As Jay was saying, there's a lot of soft costs. There's a lot of requirements that are placed upon them by the city so that if you build a multi-unit, you know, the next thing you know, you're the one who's going to be upgrading the size of the water service for the block. You're the one who's going to be doing uh, upgrading, you know, everything for the sewer tie-ins and what have you. If it was a million dollars a throw, people would be buying backyards uh, up and down 28th, 29th, and 30th Avenue and shoving in units on the backyard, right? It's, it's not that expensive. But, there, but it's because there's so much more that goes into it than that. The entitlement process and the slowness of it does not help, right? It drags it out, uh, but it's not, it's not the cost, you know, why we're here. It's not the cost of the labor that's driving it up through the mm -hmm. roof, right? It's, you know, I wish somebody would write an article about the concentration in the concrete market and how the cost of concrete has absolutely mm -hmm buried the cost of construction or how the cost of wood has become so speculative. Instead, all they do is point and say like, well, why should I have to pay uh, the carpenter and the electrician a decent mm -hmm. living wage so that they can, you know, uh, retire with a, just a slight modicum of, of dignity. I was going to say some of this is, yeah, some of this is inside baseball, of course, so I'm not sure everyone follows or anything. This is one of the reasons when we say there's a billion dollars coming to the homeless department, why the problem doesn't go away right away. It's complicated. So a question. My name is Mahal Emberton. I grew up in um, a union family. And um, the question that I have is, um, Mr. Doherty was saying that there's a lot of blocking from the city that happens that creates a lot of um, uh, barriers to building housing. And as a homeowner who also wants to support the trades, I also experienced a lot of those same 
blockades and actually makes pushes against um, me being able to work with our local trades to enhance my home. And I'm just wondering if you can share some insights and in how can we help our city change those policies and change those processes so that we all, in terms of large housing projects and individual homeowners, we can all benefit from some new new policies. Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that, you know, and one of the things that we, ha what I think is a good way to describe this is, is a pendulum, right? So we are, have allowed the pendulum to go like this, like really wide swings. And, and what's bad about that is that there's no real common sense of like, okay, what is our goal here? We will entitle tons of things. Uh, we had it, there was some good, uh, there was a lot of housing being built. Some of it was still being built union uh, in the residential markets out in the Richmond and the Sunset, you know, the, the, the Richmond Special, I think is what it was hmm. called. Yeah. Uh, where they were taking some of these old shacks that were out in the Richmond that were, you know, small little bungalows, whatever, all circa 1906. And they were putting three, you know, three units on, to, on it, maybe four if they, if they were zoned that way. And then that came to a complete halt because the neighborhood said no, right? Fortunately for San Francisco to adapt to some of those housing needs, we also had S&P was uh, conglomerating all their land in Mission Bay and you know, tens of thousands of units have been added out there. But so we can't shove everything into one neighborhood, right? Because that pisses people off and leads to a ballot measure. And we can't cut everything off because that creates a problem. And now we have unaffordable housing and everybody's getting pissed off and that leads to a ballot measure. It's just, it's nonsensical. This, when, this, this going back and forth. Is to the city itself, if you could find the same thing on a city website three weeks later in the same spot, it would be a miracle, right? You ever, try, you ever find something you can never find it again because they move it? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that other than like they seem to just have a habit of getting in the way because they turn over people and then, and then they just somehow decide to rearrange things so that no one knows where it is. Now, for people who don't know what entitlements mean when you say right. entitlements, what, what, what in the world do you mean by entitlements? So in, in the entitlement process is, you know, I own, let's say you own a, a broken down bungalow on 45th and Anza. And you know what? I think this is a good spot. I want to put up three units. Uh, you'll have to get into the process of entitlement, which means first off, you have to prove you own the land. Then you're going to have to pay someone to design, you know, a lot of those places that were being built at the time in the Rescalvo's the name that comes up. That was, that was the, the architect that my dad had used. Anyway, and he built the little four unit apartment buildings. You know, there was two one bedroom units and two two bedroom units and they're all over town. So entitlements are red tape. That's yeah, what you're saying. It's, yeah. If I may yeah. comment on that, because you asked what can be done about it and we need streamlining measures. Uh, there's ballot measures going right now. I'm certainly an advocate for affordable homes now. I would encourage you to check it out. My partner up here may have something different on that, and that's cool too. But basically, there's no doubt about it that the broken, San Francisco is the worst in the country, study after study, on getting through the process of entitling housing to be built. It's so political and can be blocked basically by anybody. So it's just not going to happen on the production. Yeah. Got okay. another question. We got another question back here. Hello, my name's Chris. I'm in the real estate business here in San Francisco. 
it doesn't sound like we have great data, whether it's 300,000, 200,000 on a savings, because we have one project to look at on Bryan Street. Why don't the unions back off, support modular housing, and say the first 5,000 units, first 2,500 units that come to San Francisco, we will support. You still can control market rate housing. Let the affordable housing be built. You just said, John, that uh, modular has uh, problems, the wiring in the walls. Well, as I understand modular housing, the Bryant project, the unions still are involved. The unions still have to build the foundations. The unions still come in and do the stucco. They still do a lot of trades on site here in the city. So if you're saying, well, the boxes get built in Fairfield and they come here and they're half ass, well, guess what? That's more work for your guys to go in there and fix. Yeah. Support, but, but Chris, support you're gonna be the affordable you're also housing. Gonna, but Chris, we're going to find somebody then. No, hold on. We're then going to be subject to yeah. look at the cost of union labor. Because that's what comes out of that. When we've got to go back in and repair something, mm-hmm. we're the ones who get blamed. And all we're doing is fixing someone else's mess. And to your question on giving it a shot, four projects have gone. The three that had, got, had water damage, every place they had to open the walls, there was a violation. Every place. Mm-hmm. So if you took it as a sample, you would say, those of you that know statistics would say, looks like it's going to be everywhere. But more importantly, when I mentioned earlier that the savings were either 7% or 9%, that was based upon the estimates of a builder, one of his signatories, who's been in business, I believe had a two-digit contractor number, has been in business for well over 100 years, knows this stick frame building inside and out, and they're telling you that if everything goes right, we'll get it 7% under. What about his question of uh, the union saying, Okay, truce, let's let 5,000 units get built. But, could that ever fly with either of you guys? So can, can I comment on a couple things? Uh, can I just drop one more quick hint? Then we got to have let someone else One have a more quick hint. I have a 100-unit project, fully entitled. All the BS is done. Perfect location. Builder wants to build it. Builder goes to supervisor. I want to build it. Now, this is 100 units. Let's call it three people per uh, room. That's 300 people. 100% affordable 24 months ago. It would be built now. We'd have 300 more homeless off of our streets. They proposed 100% affordable, went to supervisor, not in my town, it's modular. Now it's a vacant lot. Right. That's uh, so the that, problem. That, that goes, so, okay, okay. So what do you think? So a couple, a couple things, and again, I don't want to just go me. back and forth, <laughs> back and forth with John on this, but, but again, you know, the attack on it. I mean, you all live in the city, I assume, or involved in the city. You can go to the Department of Building Inspection and you can look up the facts yourself. But the, bo- the bottom line is, is that the production, right, that needs to happen, it, it, any labor organization, they probably don't want to listen to my view on this, but any labor organization that thinks that off-site and modular and faster ways of delivery isn't coming is at peril, no doubt about it. I mean, there, there was many, many years ago a buggy whip makers union as well. And the bottom line is, I don't mean that as a slide against anyone, you have a full right to run your organization how you're going to run it. However, we intend to bring solutions to the housing problem. Anything we could do, and we're not popular in a lot of labor circles right now, and that's okay with me. Because right, we, have the, a, we have another question know, here. Political, organizing, et cetera, all in. 
Hi, um, my name is Jill Fox. I, I live in India Basin. And um, John, I'm I just kind of confused. Uh, I, I don't, they're building 1,500 units um, down the street from my house, fully entitled, uh, plus 220,000 square feet of commercial. So big prop, big, big job, all going to be union. John, what I don't understand is I don't want modular if it's unsafe. But what I don't understand is why aren't the electricians and the plumbers and the other trades unionizing the modular companies so that we have union jobs there across the board and safe, um, safe buildings across the board. So, so we, into, do, we do have, yeah. there, there are union electricians at modular facilities on the East Coast. Um, we were, the, the UA and the IBW, when the first time, this isn't the first time on modular either, so we'll bore, we won't bore you with the operation breakthrough of the 1970s and, and Mitt Romney's dad. <laughs> but, you know, this, this isn't like some new experience. It's failed before, so, you know, and we're hoping for a better outcome this time. As far as organizing, when Jay, yeah, so they were working on Zeta Homes. They organized Zeta Homes. Factory OS, it was already a signatory employer who would have been in violation of his contract had he gone to move things off-site or whatever. So the, the factory opened as a union shop. That's not the facts, up, brother. I got a challenge. You're talking about the internal workers of my organization. Uh, you want to drag people through that, but okay. Factory so OS. You're saying Larry Factory Pace OS had 100 not, people working for Factory him before o you organized. Factory OS is not Canon Constructors. Straight up, no. But Larry Pace but Larry is the owner. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they think she's asking why Factory OS and Vallejo, the where your uh, construction guys work. How come you don't have all the other unions there? We have time for one more. Yeah. Two more. Hi, my name is Jennifer Hope. I'm an IBEW 1245 retiree, and my husband works with Factory OS as a partner. What would it take, just bullet points please, what would it take for the two organizations to work together? Yeah, that goes back to the last question. How come the other unions aren't over at uh, Factory OS? It's a totally different approach to, to the whole industry, no doubt about it. Uh, again, there's this idea that you're going to go to uh, organize, and again, uh, absolutely a neutral employer, signed a document, we got card check recognition, negotiated agreement, and voted on it. And it's a certified bargaining unit across the board. Uh, the model in the factories is a production model. And again, you do not see direct contracts in any kind of factory multi-craft like that. You just don't. It just... John? But again... So there, there's, there's nothing stopping factory ORS other than the Carpenters Union from contracting with a, a, an IBW signatory employer and a UA signatory employer so that the IBW, you could have three IBW trained electricians working in the facility and three UA trained plumbers working in the facility. Uh, they, you know, it's, it's not that they don't already do that. Uh, they, they do contract out for sprinkler work on mm -hmm. these projects and I haven't heard of any problems with their sprinkler works but they have had issues with uh, their plumbing and their electrical. So, so yeah. we're, we're right on the precipice of devolving a little bit if you, if you want to, because I have some great stories about uh, a modular project that was gonna happen on a PLA and what happened in the interaction with the per 
singular union here, but maybe we won't go there. The bottom line is, is that we've been engaged in this. We have factory training programs. We recruit for it. You have to be able to ramp up hundreds of workers, right? And it's a production model. It's cross-training. It runs like an automobile plant, no doubt about it. So again, the idea that there's just going to be multiple organizations in an already organized facility. It's not a construction site. As much as the trades want to say it's a construction site, it's not, right? That's why the state does the inspections. I would invite anyone here at any time to come check it out, check out the inspection process, see the quality of the product, right, um, at any time. Uh, and again, you can hear shots being shouted from the audience, but the bottom line is it's coming. I've seen no effort from other trade unions to organize this industry, uh, aside from us, just straight if, up. If we're being invited in to invited organize in. the electricians on the site of Factory OS, let us know. Same thing would go for the UA. But but and, and I don't want this to devolve. It's going to. I, do, I yeah, don't. I don't want, no, I don't. Actually, we got to we gotta wrap this up because uh, we do. I we do have to. We, we, we have to listen, you guys. But yeah, I how about the question that was asked? Good. Yes. Thank about, you very much. How about you get this? a couple of union guys up here, and this is what you're going to get. I good. love it. <laughs> it's all a good. Spirit. I love it. We're going to get you guys together. We're going to get you guys together around a table with a big old bottle of bourbon, and we're going to fix. I don't drink, brother. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's messing with you. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate All right. it. Thanks, well, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, John. Always good to see you. That was Kevin Fagan interviewing Jay Bradshaw with the NorCal Carpenters Union and John Doherty with the Electrical Workers Union IBEW Local 6 at the SF Next Solutions Conference. SF Next Project Director Jonathan Krim stepped in as MC. You can find coverage of the conference at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. We also want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution that you want the city to pursue? Know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. Next time on Fixing Our City, what would it take to inject a bit more creativity into public processes that tend to get bogged down in standard procedures and red tape? Jonathan Krim talks with government staffer turned art institution director Sarah Fenske Bahat. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext. <laughs>